Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. He actually gave me some leads because I've been talking to him about how I'm wanting to buy more buildings and certain things like that. So that's something I want to reiterate about that nine unit is just talking with everybody, all your contractors and brokers and just... Make sure that everybody knows what you're doing. You might actually get some more deals that way. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Chad Duval. How you doing, Chad? Good. How are you doing, Joe? Thanks for having me. I am doing well, and it's my pleasure. A little bit about Chad. He worked at a bank out of college, and after three months working there, the 2008 crash happened, and he lost his job. He has house-hacked his first investment. He bought a nine-unit on seller financing. Most recently, bought a 15-unit. Congratulations on that. Based in Boston, Massachusetts. With that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, so you hit all the big highlights in real estate. Yeah. As you know, 08 was not the best year to graduate school, but yeah, I got a job at a bank because I had uh, my uncle who was the president over there, got me started over there. And like you said, three months into it, showed up to the bank and all of us were locked out and they closed the branch. So after that, I kind of tried to dabble in a lot of different things. I moved to California, worked anywhere from Kohl's at night, stocking shelves to Sherwin-Williams stocking shelves there and just doing anything I could to pay the bills. I mean, kind of made myself move around. I made it to Miami and Connecticut and ultimately landed back in Boston where I'm from the greater Boston area. And in 2014-15 area, I was talking to my dad who has been hounding me for years to buy a house. So I finally cracked and went back to that same uncle that had got me the job a couple of years prior and I got approved for a USDA rural development loan, which is 100% financing, Oh yeah, which is an awesome loan product if you're willing to move to rural areas of the country. And I ended up finding a property that had a full walkout basement that I converted into an accessory unit and lived in that while I rented out the upstairs all underneath this USDA rural development loan. And then from there, like you said, I had scaling up to a nine unit, then to a 15 unit. And now I'm looking to 
slowly get into the 50 to 100 unit properties. So when I think of Boston, I don't think of USDA rule loan being in Boston. So where was this? This was in a small town called Colchester, Connecticut. At the time, I had taken a job in Connecticut in Essex for an aerospace company, and it was about a 45-minute drive to work. I couldn't qualify within the same area as the job was. So I actually had to move outside to Colchester, which there was really not that much around. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the reason why they offer those loans. Mm -hmm. What I like to say is if you can put in a year of time to do it, to get into (laughs) the game, then it's a good product. But yeah, you might pull your hair out if you're used to living in the city for sure. Right. It's a year and then you can rent it out. Is that how it works? Yes. After a year, you can move out of it and rent it out, usually 12 months. I actually looked at the loan documents to confirm that too, um, (laughs) just to make sure that they weren't going to call the note if they found out. But it's very similar to what a lot of people do with the traditional FHA loan. One catch-22 for that with the USDA rule loan is if you have a plan of renting it out, okay, great, but you're in the middle of nowhere, so can you rent it out? So how did you get comfort in being able to rent it out prior to purchasing it? I was super green to it and kind of took a a big gamble. I just did a quick scan on Zillow and Craigslist and kind of looked at what the market had. There was enough population that I knew that I could get it rented. I just didn't know how much I could get it for. So basically, I bought the house because I knew that based on the upstairs where I was going to rent it, it was like a three bed, two bath. I definitely could make enough money to cover the mortgage and most of the expenses just by doing a little bit of, like I said, the, the Zillows and that sort of thing. Well, let's talk about this nine unit on seller financing. Tell us a story. So after I moved into the basement of that USDA rural development property, I got that first check. And like a lot of people, it's a weird experience. So I was hooked instantly and was like, man, I got to get more of these. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at just a couple duplexes and maybe some fourplexes. But then I ended up stumbling upon this nine unit because what I was doing is on Craigslist, I was typing in keywords like, seller financing, owner financing, second mortgages and keywords like that. And actually some upon this nine unit. So I inquired about it and they ended up carrying back 85%. And then I had to bring about 15% to the closing table. So it was a really quick transaction and everything was done through them and the title companies. Let's talk more about it. You bought it for how much? I bought it for 420,000. $420,000. Where is it located? In central New Hampshire. What type of area is that? It's a small city called Laconia. It's the outskirts of a pretty rural area, but it's also a very touristy area. There's a big lake there. So there's a lot of influx of uh, tourists in the summertime. So that brings in a lot of traffic. And the property is just on the outskirts, a lot of big malls too, like Walmart right there and a few uh, chain stores too. Why were they selling it via seller financing on Craigslist? I think what they had decided is they talked to their accountant and they had owned the property for 20 years and they owned it free and clear. And I guess they had listed it before, but then once they had it under contract, they realized that the tax implications are pretty significant on a $420,000 capital gains pretty much. So they ended up relisting it and tried to do seller financing just to reduce that tax burden. Okay. Your initial offer was how much? I think with that... It was actually really low. I think I was down at 380-ish and kind of worked the numbers back and forth. Ended on 420, but it was on 420 because they ended up carrying more of the mortgage. At the original 
negotiations of the lower price, I had to bring more money to the table, which ultimately I figured I'll pay a little bit more than I think it's worth. But I think that's a premium for having seller financing and not have to go through the bank. Mm-hmm. What would they list it at? Price? I think they had it listed at 475 But another little key indicator was it had been sitting for a while. I think it was on the market for like 180 days when I had come across it. And how did you know it'd been on the market for a hundred and some days if you saw it on Craigslist? Oh, I'm sorry. This one wasn't on Craigslist. I think I was searching keywords on realtor.com. Oh, okay. Um, or is it, yeah, sorry. I don't think it was on Craigslist. I do continue to search on Craigslist for stuff, but I think that property was actually on realtor.com. And of course, those always tell you days on market. Did they ask you about, hey, have you done this before? They weren't too interested in the real estate experience because what we had talked about is they had a resident building manager that had been there for like eight, 10 years and she knew the property inside and out. And I had told them that I planned on keeping her on as part of a partner with it. No money invested in it, but keeping her on because she knows the building. And when I had met her the first time, it was a really good feeling when I met her. I knew she seemed like a decent person. So I told them I was going to keep her on. So that kind of mitigated any of the risk in their mind, I think, as far as having real estate experience. But I did have resume and I had my uncle again. It's a recurring theme in my stories. My uncle, he helped a, a bunch. He wrote a nice recommendation because I had worked for him for a couple months and he's known me my whole life. So he really talked me up. The bank that he was working for talked me up. And then all of my other employers that I had been working with had given good references. So I guess they had relied heavily on the references and my current financial situation at that time. What was the business plan with that nine unit? At first, it was to raise rents immediately because it was definitely mismanaged. A lot of the rents were 10, 15% below market. So at the time was to raise rents for current tenants that didn't have any leases in place and then slowly turn over tenants and just light rehabs units. So we did light rehabs, meaning paint, carpets, some appliances, a few countertops here and there, but no crazy moving walls or stripping it down or anything like that. So that was the biggest thing. And then the second thing is once we started doing that, we also came across the uh, rubs policy. I don't know if you're familiar with that ratio utility billing service where we hired out a third party to come in and evaluate the property, the square footage and the usage and occupancy, and then take all of our utilities and then calculate a bill per unit based on the occupancy and the square footage back to the tenants and get a portion of that expense billed back to them. So those are the two main driving business plans. What was your role in the renovation process? At first, it was me and my dad most of the time. My dad owns a construction business. You had so had a very a nice active time. role, very hands-on role. Yes, very, very active. <laughs> and then once I got three or four units into this, I'm like, man, it's too much for me. Because of course, <laughs> I was working a, a full nine to five and everything like that. And my dad was getting busy too, so he couldn't put all the time in either. So by the last unit, I had fully hired it out. When you closed on the nine unit, how long ago was that? That was in 2016, March of 16. Okay. What's the status of the business plan? Actually, two weeks ago, we just actually sold that property. So what had happened is we had finished the, basically the business plan of it and then went to go do a cash out refi with it. And for some odd reason, the property actually, when we went to go do the refi, appraised significantly lower than it was valued. So at that time, I had this 15 unit under contract and that's what I was going to use for the down payment of it. So what I ended up having to do is just take out as much as I could for that property, 
close on the 15 unit, but because I had to put so much of other money and scrounge together last minute to kind of get that down payment together for the 15 unit, I needed to sell the nine unit now to recapture all of the equity so that I can pay off all of that other stuff that I had to club together to close that 15 unit, which is so crazy because that nine unit, when I did sell it, the selling appraisal came in at 485. And when I went to go do the cash out refi a couple months before that, it had came in at 430 something. So it's a huge discrepancy and I didn't have enough time to fight it because I had this other property that was getting ready to close. So it became kind of a cluster pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) So now let's talk about this 15 unit. Mm -hmm. What's the story with that? That was kind of a funny story. So that was Christmas time. My girlfriend lives in Chicago and we go back and forth there a couple times a year. And at Christmas time last year, we were flying home and it's a couple hour flight. So I'm always looking for things to do. I'm either working or browsing real estate is a thing I do all the time, but I ended up coming across this 15 unit and putting in a really, really low ball offer on it and ended up getting some traction on it while I was on this airplane on the way back from Christmas. So long story short, I ended up getting them to carry a second on that particular purchase as well. I got the bank to finance 80% of it. They carried back 75 grand and then I had to come with a balance of that at closing. So we closed at that 675. They had originally listed at 890, I think it was. So again, another very similar story. It's really way overpriced. I don't know if people were actually even taking it seriously and putting in offers because it was so overpriced, but I don't see any downfall in putting in lowball offers. So, but it ended up get closing 675 and it's been going pretty good. We closed in April and this is the first property that I actually have full-time property management as well. So it's kind of a weird transition. I'm a little bored, if you would say, because uh-huh. I don't have to really do anything. All I have to do is manage the manager now once a month. So it's kind of a cool transition from duplex all the way to a 15 unit where I'm very hands-off. What have been some challenges that you've come across with the deal, whether it's the management or something else? Actually, the biggest challenge right now has been the tenant base when we took the property over. Apparently, the number one drug dealer in all of New Hampshire lived in that building and we didn't know that. So two weeks after we closed on it, we had a huge FBI drug raid and all this stuff. So it's been quite the hotbed for a lot of drug activity and not favorable tenant base. That's what we, we're trying to combat that. And we've kicked out most of them and putting in better tenants. And as you upgrade the units, you tend to level up your tenant base. So that's kind of what we've been doing. When you now are managing the manager versus being the manager, what are some ways you've changed your approach? Because I'm sure that the early days you were approaching it one way as managing the manager, but now you've gotten into a system with managing manager. It's hard for me. I'm still learning, of course, because the first couple of properties, everything was, I had to do it. So I took the bull by the horn and now I've had to transition into stopping myself from micromanaging, I guess. I think the pendulum has swung a little bit too far where I've kind of been a little bit too hands-off because I'm seeing a few things slip. So I might have to reel it in a little bit, but that's been the hardest transition for me since doing that. And how are you working through that so that you navigate that transition? Yeah, it's just more communication and being more honest with the property managers. I've planned out every time that I'm up in New Hampshire because my family still lives up there. So I'm still up there quite a bit. So what I'm trying to do is actually meet with them every time I'm up there just to kind of get more FaceTime and be more transparent about things that I'm seeing or concerns that I have or, oh, you guys are doing really good here and, and that sort of thing. What are some concerns that you've had? 
Well, I drove by the property at Thanksgiving and there was a lot of large items around the dumpster. And I don't know if that's been addressed or they even know that that's been going on. But with a lot of turnover with all these bad tenants, they leave mattresses and beds and couches and they're they're just putting it behind the dumpsters. And that's a cost for us because we have to call a special company to come and take that out. So things like that I need to address and make sure that we're all on the same page and find ways to combat that with either cameras or whatever we're going to do. You got a nine unit on seller financing that's rocking and rolling. How much money does that put in your pocket every month? So full disclosure, I've never taken any money out of any of these properties. I've kind of just put them back into the properties. What are you living off of? I work a nine to five, an aerospace sales job. So that's my real job. All this real estate's kind of on the side, the podcast, <laughs> all of this. It's my passion. I Good love for real you. estate. Like, it's so fun. But yeah, I do actually work a regular nine to five. Okay. My respect for you just increased even more. Nice job. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> what, it's challenging what, some days. Some days I ask myself why I'm doing it. But again, going back to having full-time property management, it's freed up so much time that I can really focus on my nine to five. And having somebody else try to grow my portfolio while I'm working is a really nice bonus. When were you doing those renovations on the nine unit? The lucky thing is, is in sales, I'm super fortunate. I can work from home, so I can pretty much work from anywhere. But at that time, I was just going up Friday afternoons and working all weekends. So it was a lot of weekend work for okay. sure. Because yeah, my job is pretty rigorous travel. So I'm traveling a lot. So I, I couldn't squeeze it in during the week. But yeah, definitely weekends. The 15 unit, what's the anticipated hold period? Right now, with the way the economy is going and everything like that, my anticipation it's going to be a long hold. However, if we continue to see things increase and it becomes a point where I've got a lot of equity there, I might try to cash in on that and keep going bigger because that's the ultimate goal is to get into the 50 and 100 unit buildings similar to yourself and start syndicating a little bit only because as you know from your story, you buy one property, you run out of money and then you have to save and save and save and then you buy another one and you save, save, save. And as you start getting bigger, it'll be easier to A, raise money and B, to manage for sure. Anything else that we haven't talked about as it relates to the nine or 15 unit that you think you should mention? Not really, but I know that the market's a little different now, but if you can just continually be looking online or networking, I share this recently from the furnace guy that was at that nine unit. He did all the furnace work for that, but he actually gave me some leads because I've been talking to him about how I'm wanting to buy more buildings and certain things like that. So that's something I want to reiterate about that nine unit is just talking with everybody, all your contractors and brokers and just Make sure that everybody knows what you're doing. You might actually get some more deals that way. So as a refresher, the two large deals, the nine and the 15, one you found on realtor.com, most mm-hmm. likely. And then mm-hmm. where'd you find the other one, the 15 unit? Exact same way. Okay, realtor.com. I'm talking about talking to everybody and people are going to give you leads. I haven't closed any deals that way, any full disclosure, but I know I've been getting a lot of options and been in communication with a lot of owners. And as soon as I talk to them, at least in my experience so far, is, you know they're just not quite ready to sell. But the second they are, I know I'll get a phone call from them. Do you have a follow-up system? Yes. Every six months, I'm following up in my calendar. If you saw my calendar, it would cause you to go dizzy because I have so many things in there. So every time I do it, I just move that notification. Yes. Six months out. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Start. Got to start to be in it, man. Got to start. I know it's the cliche. You're never ready to have kids. You're never ready to do all these things. And real estate is the same thing. Just start. Now we're going to do lightning round. You ready for it? 
Yes. Let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we have not talked about already? So the 15 unit that I just closed on in April, I didn't get a proof of payment from the sellers that they had paid the last water bill and ended up having to go to court to get that paid by them. So make sure at closing you have receipts and proof of all of the utilities being paid off up to the closing date. How much did it cost you to go to court? We ended up settling after 1500 bucks, but we ended up adding that to the amount that they owed us. What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? Right now, I think the best way that I'm doing it is through my podcast and in my Instagram feed. I don't consider myself an expert in real estate, but I have done a few deals and I'm trying to give back at least on the mistakes that I've been making and fumbling through to get these properties. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? ChadDuval.com is the hub for everything. Again, my podcast is Start FM. It's on iTunes, Stitcher. It's on all the platforms. Those are the two main areas. Fun conversation talking about those two deals and the USDA loan too. That's interesting. It doesn't happen often where investors use that program because a lot of people aren't willing to move out to rural areas where you can get that type of loan, but Mm -hmm. you bite the bullet. And you know, it could also be a wonderful thing to be out in the country. Yeah, Um, it's a good way to test if you like it. Because I thought at the time when I was getting into it, I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I can cut the lawn and paint (laughs) this and that. And then I was realizing I was gone a lot trying to go have fun with my friends. And I was like, damn, I can't. I have to go home and cut the lawn. (laughs) Uh Chop wood and and kill your dinner and all sorts of things like that. (laughs) So if anything, it'll at least teach you if you like that stuff or not, if you've never done it before. Glad you experienced it because it was fun to talk about and even more fun was the nine unit and the 15 unit conversation. So thanks for being on the show. Congrats on what you've done to date and I hope you have the best ever day. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.